Good morning. Uh, we do have some visitors, so let me explain what's happening. If you're here and you're visiting, then you've caught us in the third day of our winter gospel meeting. Normally this would be a, a class hour, but uh, today it's a special series, and uh, you're stuck with me this morning. Normally I teach the class, so the don't really look uh, that much different, but uh, there'll be limited... Uh, Audience participation, there will be some, but uh, won't be as much as normal. Uh, if you're here and you're visiting and you haven't been the opportunity to be with us the last two nights, then first off, you've missed two outstanding lessons from the, the Josh duo, Josh Harris and Josh McKibben. And if you're here and you haven't been here the last two nights, then you probably haven't seen this theme, this series that we're working on or working out of. It's called The Christian Atheist. If you're here and you've not been here the last two nights, that's probably the first time that you've heard that word, Christian atheist. And it's, hopefully you get the same feeling when you hear that word. It it just kind of makes you cringe. When you hear that word Christian atheist, it just, those words don't mesh. They don't jive together. And that's for good reason is, is they should. It's a play on words that are words of, Totally opposite. So when you hear those words together, our reaction should be, that just ain't right. They, 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 don't, they don't go together. A Christian atheist, someone who has a somewhat of a level of belief in God, but for some reason there's some kind of clause in the relationship, some kind of ideal, some kind of thinking, some kind of thoughts, some kind of disobedience that causes that relationship to God to be to be hindered, to not be what it's supposed to be. Uh, Titus 1.16, which is kind of the, the verse that sets the standard for this week's title, says they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. That's the New Testament definition of a Christian atheist. Someone who professes to, to follow God, but by their actions they totally don't show that. This morning I want to uh, attack a, a belief, a thinking of believing in God, but don't think that He loves us. You may be here this morning, you may be thinking, well that, that ideal really don't exist. People don't think that way. In uh, September 2015, the New York Times did a survey called Googling for God, in which they took all the questions that was put in a Google search bar that any kind of question that had God in the, the actual question, the number one question asked was, who created God? Where did God come from? I can see that as a, a very good question. People who are searching for a knowledge of God, they, they wonder, well, where did He come from? I can see why that would be the number one question. The number two question was, why does God allow suffering? Once again, I can... See why people would ask that question. People will look around and see heartache and despair and see the bad things that's going on. I can see why people would go to searching of of why does God allow this. The third question is the one that we want to talk about this morning was the question asked, why doesn't God love me? It was also asked, why does God hate me? So the fact that that is the third most searched question on Google from anybody that's asking questions pertaining to God shows that that ideal does exist. That thinking does exist that God doesn't love me. Why would 
an individual think that way. Our goal this morning, or our goal in life, is to, to serve God and come to a true relationship with Him. That ideal, that thinking that God doesn't truly love me, well, that puts a real barrier on that relationship. Thinking that God doesn't love me, that puts a real wall on that relationship that He's seeking for us to have and that relationship that we so need to have. So we're going to talk about uh, <clears throat> that ideal for the next few minutes. I want to attack this ideal of thinking that God doesn't love me. And I want to do so by bringing up two possible reasons why we would entertain this thought in our minds. And then end the lesson with one final point that I think is the real issue when it comes to God and love. So let's get started. The first thing is, the reason, the first reason that I believe that we would entertain this thought of God doesn't love me is simply we have a misconception of what God's love is. See, we tie love today to, to many different things, to many worldly things. And we tie love to many wrong things. We tie love to stuff, to material items. You don't agree with that? Go to Walmart right now. When you walk in the door, there's going to be Multiple aisles there that's full of chocolate, flowers, jewelry, teddy bears, all that kind of stuff. Why? Because Valentine's Day is coming up in a few weeks. Valentine's Day is the one day a year that we show that special someone we love them by buying them stuff. That's, I mean, that's pretty simple. The guy shows up on Valentine's Day, the girl opens the door, he's standing there holding Teddy bear and chocolate and jewelry and roses and all these things. And what does she think? He loves me. The more stuff he has, the more he loves me. The less stuff that he has, the less he loves me. That's just the human way of defining love. I went to the grocery store Monday and uh, was buying groceries. I went down the aisle with uh, the drinks and the juice and Alicia loves green tea. I hate green tea. I don't know why anybody would drink green tea. But I'm walking down the aisle and they're on sale for 79 cents is these cans of green tea. So I bought a few. So I take them home. Later on that afternoon, her and Jackson get home from school and she's looking through the kitchen at what I bought. You're going to learn some things about me this morning. I'm the grocery guy that you give $20 to and you tell him to go buy a gallon of milk. I'm coming home with like five different kinds of milk, possibly the cow that made the milk. <laughs> I'm coming home with probably some corn dogs and stuff like that. So every time she sends me to the grocery store, it's just an adventure of what I'm going to buy. So she was sitting there looking through the kitchen, looking at what all goodies I'd bought. And she opened the refrigerator and I said, hey, I bought you some cans of green tea. Her reply, oh, you love me. Why would, why would she think that way? Because that's just the, the human thinking of love is stuff equals love. There's nothing wrong with buying our loved ones things. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is that when we begin to define love simply by what people buy us, then our standard is, is messed up. What's going to happen when I go to the grocery store this week and I don't buy green tea? 
Alicia's going to open the refrigerator. There's going to be no green tea in there. And she's going to think, well, huh, he don't love me this week. What's going to happen when that young guy shows up on Valentine's Day and he ain't got nothing in his arms when the girl opens the door? Her first thought, he don't love me. That's, uh, that's not the problem. It's not the love. The problem is simply our misunderstanding of, of what love is. We also tie love to, to getting our way. When people love us, they let us do whatever we want. When people tell us no, well, they don't love us. You don't think that these two ideals of love exist in our society? Well, I've, I'll debate you because I think you're wrong. These two ideals do exist. If you don't think they do, then I'm going to say one of two things. You haven't dealt with people very much, and you sure haven't dealt with children. When your kid comes in and he says, Dad, I need new Air Jordans. I need a new phone. I need a new phone case. I need new uh, bat. I need a new glove. I need V-Bucks for Fortnite. And you say, no. What does your child say? Okay, Father, I completely understand. You know, I'll come back at a more convenient time. To ask for these things. No. They tear up. And they start saying, but, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't love me. If you love me, you'd buy these things. When your teenager comes in and says, you know, Mom, I want to stay out till 3 a.m. and party. I want to go to a group of friends' house that I know is going to be doing some illegal things. I want to drive the car really, really fast on the, the interstate. I want to get a tattoo on my face. I don't know. And you say no. What does the child most of the time say? Okay, I completely get your side of the story. That's fine. I understand you're only looking out for my best welfare. No. They start getting upset or start saying, but, but, you know, if you love me, you'd let me do this. Why do they act that way? Why do they think that way? It's just, those are not all real life experiences, by the way. The Fortnite, the shoes, the phone, the, the bat, the glove, all that is, but the tattoo on the face. No, neither one of my kids has asked for that yet, but we've all dealt with in those situations. Why, why do they act that way? They do that because that's just the natural definition of love. As humans, as little kids, they grow up thinking that love is tied to things. Love is tied to getting their way. As they get older in the teenager years, they define love as buying things, as getting their way. And as they get into adults, we think the same thing, that love is defined by stuff and love is defined by by getting our way. And that's dangerous. Relationships with spouses, relationships with children, relationships with family members, relationships with others. When that is our definition of love, it's going to damage all those relationships. Even more dangerous is when that thinking creeps into our spiritual walk. When that starts to think into our spiritual mind, it damages our relationship with God. When we start to measure God's love for us with some cloudy, misunderstood, earthly standards, it's simply never going to add up. We're always going to end up wanting more. We're always going to feel that as God doesn't love us because we're defining His love by earthly standards. 
When our thinking becomes, I'm not getting where I want to be in life. I didn't get that job, the raise that I wanted. I'm not getting get the house, the car I wanted. My life, you know, it, it stinks. I can't win. God must not love me. When we get to thinking that in times of sickness and death and, and disasters and heartache and pain, loneliness, we look at our lives and we think, this is terrible. God doesn't love me. If He did, my life wouldn't be like this. When that becomes to be our thinking, have we ever felt that way? Probably a lot of us have. The problem is not God's love for us. The problem is our idea of what God's love is completely off track. God's love is different. If you want to go ahead and be turning your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, we'll hit that verse in just a second. When it comes to God and love, God's love is different. God's love is unconditional, it's pure, it's holy, it's patient, it's long-suffering. God's love is eternal, it's everlasting. God doesn't just love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says, He that loveth knoweth not God, for God is love. Did you catch that? God doesn't just love, God is love. His very nature, His very core, His DNA is love. His love is like no other. His love is a way that, as humans, we can't really even grasp what God's love is. But it's dangerous when we start trying to define that love by our earthly standards. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, a couple of verses that uh, talk about God's love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It's, but God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. That's love. When we were undeserving, when we were deserving of death, God loves us. Uh, Psalms chapter 139 verse 13. For you have possessed my reins, you have covered me in my mother's womb. God loves us even as a Small little embryo in our mother's stomach. God's love was there for us. You know, we have a lot of kids, teenagers in the audience. When you were born and brought into this world in the hospital, people came and they held you and, you know, they looked in your little chubby cheeks and they just fell in love and that's special. But you don't know what's even more special? Before you were born, as you were just a little seed inside your mother's womb, God loved you. God was there looking over for you. God was creating you. That's special. In Jeremiah chapter 31, in verse 3, it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. See, our love is human. Our love changes. It comes, it goes, it goes up and down. It's things we love yesterday, we despise today. Uh, things that we... Love today, we'll despise tomorrow. Next week, there'll be something else that we love. Our love just, it changes. God's love never changes. It's everlasting. It's the same as in the beginning. It'll be the same in the end. <clears throat> when we try to measure God's love with these earthly standards, when we go around acting as that God is this burger king of life and we can just have everything our way, when we... uh 
go around comparing stuff to how you know God's love to how much stuff and how great life is going when things are good, God loves me. When things are bad, the old saying, God loves me not. That, that's that's never going to add up. That's a misunderstand, misunderstood thinking of love. And technically, I think it's just a slap to God's face when we try to define His love by, by earthly standards. God shows His love in much grander ways, ways that we can't imagine, ways that we probably take for granted, possibly ways that uh, we never even think about. Let's look at a few of those ways. First one is God's love is shown through creation. Psalms 19 and 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the permanent showeth His handiwork. Have you ever looked at the things around us, the trees, the mountains, the rivers, you know, the animals, and just been amazed at how it all works? I am a, uh, I'm a sports guy. Most of y'all know that now. I love football, basketball, any kind of softball, baseball, but probably my favorite sport is golf. And the reason is it's a game that challenges you physically, mentally, emotionally. One minute you're king of the world, you're Tiger Woods. Two seconds later you're wanting to break clubs. Ten minutes later you're back to top king of the world. I mean, it's just a game of emotional highs and lows. And I love to play it. But the main reason I love to play it is golf takes place in nature. There's no court, there's no arena, there's no field. You go to a golf course, you're standing in the middle of God's creation. You see things, you stand on a tee box and look out. It's just, it's amazing. I play golf from Louisiana to Daytona, Orlando, to North Carolina, to Myrtle Beach, to Hilton Head, all throughout Alabama, hundreds of golf courses. And the one thing that was consistent in every golf course is God's handiwork, His creation. You see it all over the place. We see God's love for us through creation from the very beginning. What, uh, in Genesis, this is going to be a question that somebody can answer. After God created each thing, what did He say? He said, it is good. Why do you think He said that? You don't have to answer that question. Why do you think he said that? Because he cared about what it looked like. His creation was thought out. It was planned. It was something that meant something to him. That's why when he created each thing, he come back and said, it's good. It's, it's how I want it. It's not like he just threw it all together like Legos. I hate Legos. That's the... Three things you've learned so far. I hate green tea, I like corn dogs, and I hate Legos. I, I hate to clean up Legos. I hate to step on Legos. I just, I don't know why they created them. But it just happened that my kids, when they were younger, loved Legos. And they'd bring in a box of 7,000 pieces trying to make this tree house. And we would, you know, start putting it together. And for the first minute, it was like, you know, everything wanted to be precise, exactly how that humongous pamphlet of instruction told us to do. We'd want to put this here, you know, and this. And then about two minutes later, I'd be like just, you know, put that dude there, that piece there. I'd get done, I'd hand it to the kids, and each time they'd say the same thing. I don't like the picture. But the reason is 
I didn't really care what it looked like. I knew 10 minutes later it was going to be laid in the floor, destroyed into 7,000 pieces. God's creation wasn't like that. He didn't just, you know, there it is, you know, the world's created. And the reason He didn't do that is because He loved us. We see that in Genesis 2 and 18. When He was overlooking man, what did He say about him being alone? It is not good. So God there, He's, he's creating these things, and each time He says, you know, it, it, it is this good. Well, now He's looking at man being alone, and He says, you know, this is not good. So what did He do? Just tell Adam, you know, it's not good that you be alone, but just deal with it. No. He did what? He created woman. Created a companion. Why did He do that for Adam? Because He loved it. Same thing that He does for us. Creation, we see God's love for us in the things that He created. Uh, one of the lines from one of my favorite songs, Walking alone at eve and viewing the skies afar, bidding the darkness come to welcome each silver star. I have a great delight in the wonderful scenes above. God in His power and might is showing His truth and love. Go for a walk. Today, you better bundle up because it's cold. But look at God's creation. The next time that you see a, a sunrise, a sunset that kind of catches your eye, the next time you see a rainbow after a, a rainstorm, the next time you hold one of these little babies in your arms, the next time that your heart sits there and beats and your lungs sit there and work and you don't think about it and put forth any effort, realize that that is God's love for us through His creation. His creation of nature and His creation of us. The second thing that I think we see God's love in is salvation. This point has been talked about Friday night in Josh's lesson. This point was talked to very thoroughly last night in Josh McKibben's lesson. This point is probably going to be brought up next lesson with Luke. It's probably going to be brought up tonight. But you can't talk about God's love without bringing up His plan of salvation. John chapter 3, verse 16, a verse that we all know. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> beginning in verse 4. Just a couple of verses here that reemphasize love through salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for great love, wherein He has loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Let's go to First John chapter 4. Josh read these verses last night. We're going to read them again. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. It says, And this was it manifested, the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son in the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The fact that we would have the audacity to question God's love, and the fact that He sent His Son, His only Son, to come to this earth to be mistreated, to be made fun of, to be spit on, and ultimately to be put on a cross for sins that He didn't commit, that's a terrible thinking. How could we ever question God's love for us when we just we see it through the sacrifice of His Son? 
Romans 5 and 8 that we read earlier, we, we were undeserving. We were left for dead. You know, Our sins put us in a place that we should have been punished. But God had a plan. He had a plan because He loves us. Can I just add that that creation that we talked about in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, when God created man and said, let us make man in our image, that air, that led us, that was God, the Holy Spirit, and that was Christ. You want to talk about love for people, the Son of God willing to leave His throne in glory, to come to this earth, to, to walk as a man and be treated the way He was treated. That's love at the, its, its greatest example. <clears throat> when God is showing His love by, by sending His Son, and we're measuring His love by this faulty earthly standards, can you see how that would just be a slap to His face? Another way that we see God's love is through His authority and His commands. Psalms chapter 19 <clears throat> Psalms 19, beginning of verse 7. We sing the song that talks about this quite often. Psalms 19 and verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Second Peter chapter 1 and 3 tells us that God has given us all things pertaining, pertaining to godliness and life. You know, God could have left us here to, to fend for ourselves. No guidance, no laws, no direction, no moral compass. He could have created us and just said, you know, go. But what would that have resulted in? Total chaos, total anarchy, total just miserable. Through true love for us, God lays down through His Scripture His authority, His laws, His commands. He gives directions on all aspects of life, how to act, how to speak, things that we should think on, how to treat our wives, how to treat our children, how to treat others, how to treat neighbors. God covers it all inside these Scriptures. Why does He give such guidance and direction in our lives? Because He loves us. Another way that God shows His love for us is through discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 is also referring back to Proverbs chapter 3 and 11. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. It says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh to you as unto children. My son, despise not that thou chasten him of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as a son, for what son is him the Father does not chasten. Those with children, why do we discipline our children? Because we hate them, we want them to fail. Absolutely not. We discipline our children because we love them and we want them to be the best version of themselves. Now, as a child, you know, when you discipline a child, they don't receive it that well. When you discipline a child, they think 
boy, you hate me. Same relationship with God. God loves us, so He disciplines us. He doesn't come down with this big hand in the sky and spank us. I mean, that's not what we're thinking. I think that would probably be a good uh, good way to set people straight. I mean, can you imagine doing some kind of sin, all of a sudden the hand of God coming down there and wearing your backside out? You would probably straighten up. So, I mean, that could be a, a powerful method, but that's not how God disciplines His children. He puts things in our lives to uh, to wake us up. He puts things and trials and things in our lives to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith. He puts things in our lives to draw us closer to Him. That's the whole purpose of His discipline, is not to drive us away, but to, to bring us closer. Why does He do that? Because He loves us. And He wants us to be the best version of ourselves to serve Him. Finally, God's love is shown through promises. Josh talked about some of these last night. The promise of forgiveness, protection, the promise of escape from temptation and trials, and ultimately the the promise of eternity. You know, God promises through love that if we repent and that we turn to serve Him fully, that He will forgive us of all sins. He promises that if we serve Him, that we'll always have protection. Maybe not protection as we think, that we can be just bulletproof, but protection as, you know, we have a hope of life after this one. He promises that He'll never put anything in front of us that we can't overcome if we look for those ways of escape. And ultimately, if we serve Him, He has promised a home with Him in eternity. Why does He do all those things? Why does He promise all those things? Because He loves us. You can see the difference here. You know, our thinking of love, stuff, getting our way. And there's so many probably more ways that we can add to this other side. But you can see the difference of our thinking of love and what God's love really is. And I think you can see that when we try to compare and define God's love by these standards on the left, it just falls short. And we have to open our eyes to these things on this side. A lot of times we ask God to show signs of His love, but we do it with blinders on. We put a face mask on and we say, All right, Lord, show me some kind of sign that You love me. We, We can't even see it. We have to open our eyes to God's promises, God's plan of salvation, God's uh, protection. All those things we have to seek for. We can't ask God for show ways that He loves us and then throw blinders up. We're never going to see it. Let us look at a possible second reason that we don't think that that God loves us. Maybe we just feel unworthy to be loved by God. Maybe our, our past is too bad, there's too many mistakes, too much wrong. The sins are too great. You know, I've done too much in the past, I'm, I'm too broken. I don't deserve to be, to be loved by God. Have you ever thought that way? Probably at one point or another. Good news is, you're not the only one. Probably everybody in this room has thought that way. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9. 
we're going to find that a guy who wrote majority of the New Testament felt that exact same way. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 9, says, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. If you remember, Paul, before he became Paul, was Saul. And Saul was going around persecuting the church, arresting Christians, uh, standing there as Christians was put to death. That's... That's a bad past. And even Paul says, you know, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. I'm not worthy to be loved by God. But we see the great things that that God did. The problem with thinking that we're not worthy is you kind of put a boundary on God's love. When we think mentally that we're not worthy of receiving God's love, well then you kind of put God's love in a little box and you're saying that it, it can't... Reach out to us. That's a dangerous thinking. Let's go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, the parable of the, the lost son. We see in this parable, we're going to see God's love at full display. We're all familiar with this story. There was two sons. They asked one of them asked for his father for his inheritance. Father gives it to him. He goes out, and what does he do with it? You can answer that question. Somebody, ah, uh, he wastes. He misuses it. It says that he wasted on riotous living. He then comes to his senses there in uh, verse eighteen. He comes to his senses after the point that he had reached the low of low and was actually eating out of what the pigs were eating. He comes to his senses in verse 18. He says, I'll arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you and I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me one of thy hired servants. So this guy had went out. He took it his inheritance. He had absolutely just wasted it on, on garbage, on trash. He come to the point that he was eating with the pigs. He come to his senses and he realized, you know what? I can I can do better, but I'm not worthy to, to be called a son because of the way I've done things. So he decides to go to his father. And what does his father do? He says he ran to him. His father was standing there and he sees him afar off and he takes off running and he welcomes him with open arms. That's the love of God. The love that... No matter what we've done, no matter how broken we are, no matter what kind of things we've done in the past, if we're willing to turn and come to our senses and serve Him, He's going to come running. He's going to come running with open arms. That love is a love that is no boundaries. That's the love of God. If you're uh, sitting here and you think, well, I get it. You know, I, I understand the way God shows love. I understand that we can't measure God's love by earthly standards. We, I understand that God's love has no boundaries, that there's no past that it can't change. I know those things, but yet I feel that the relationship with God just simply ain't where it needs to be. Can I ask, bring this, this last point to close the lesson? 
We've done seen that God's love cannot and will not fail us. So if it is God's, if it isn't God's love that's failing the relationship, can I suggest that maybe that it's our love for God that's failing it? You've seen this flower throughout the day or throughout the weeks. The Christian atheist, when you believe in God but you don't think He loves you. That was a catchy phrase. I think the, that phrase on the sign has drawn a lot of people to think. That's pretty interesting stuff. But I think the problem and probably what the flyer should have said for this particular lesson is when you believe in God but you don't truly love Him. I think that's the issue. See, God tells us that He will love us, that He will never fail us, that He will always love us for now, for eternity. But the question is, do we truly love Him? 1 John 4 19 says we love Him because He first loved us. Matthew 22 and 37 tells us how deep that love must be is with all of our heart, all of our soul, and with all of our mind. That's hard. That's a difficult love. You can't base that love on just stuff. That love takes effort. It takes commitment. It takes work. That kind of love takes having faith in God, having faith in His promises, His laws, His judgments, having faith in His plan of salvation, and having faith in His love. And we must develop that kind of love to have that true relationship with Him. I think of that, as I was studying this, the Looney Tunes uh, cartoon with the skunk and the cat, where the, uh, the skunk is always trying to get the love of the cat, and throughout the whole cartoon, he's always standing there in her way, holding flowers or doing something to kind of get her attention, and each time she just never checks up. And it's a funny cartoon, but when it starts describing our relationship with God, it's not real funny. And I can see my relationship with God in times past, and you can probably see your relationship with God in times past, is that same cartoon. There's God standing there and trying in so many different ways to show His love and to get our attention, but we just, we just stroll on by, never checking up. So busy in life, so many things going on that we never give God the time of day. It isn't God's love that, that's failing the relationship. It's our love for Him. Love is not the problem. We are all capable of loving. The problem is we're very prone to loving the wrong things. And that's where the issue lies. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Two more verses and we'll be done. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 38. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves us. He loved us from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 when He created us, when He created the world. He loved us in John 3.16 when He sent His Son. He loves us today. He'll love us tomorrow. And His love will be there for eternity. The question is, do you love the Lord? In 1 John chapter 3, this was led, read uh, Friday night by Josh Harris. And I'll close with this. There will be no invitation song this morning. But the invitation of the Lord is, is always open. 
So if you're here in this audience right now and you feel that your life needs to change this very minute, that you need to be baptized or you need to bring things and make things right, we're, we're not going to turn that away and wait and tell you to wait to the next hour. Josh is here. I'm here. We're going to dismiss in just a minute. But I want to read this verse. First John chapter 3 and 1, verse 1. First John 3 and verse 1. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has put upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew us not him. God loves us, and he is seeking for us to be a child of his. Are you a child of God? Are you a faithful child of God? And do you love God the way that he commands us and the way that he deserves? Thank you for your attention and for... Uh, Following along this morning.